We've all had those days. Those days where Murphy's Law just runs amok. You know, when you wake up late because you accidentally set up your alarm for p.m. instead of a.m., you get in your car with an empty gas tank, a negative balance in your checking account, and your only clean shirt is now stained with what you hope is a toothpaste stain. We've all been there, and luckily for the sake of our mental well-being, things eventually start to turn in our favor, and by the end of the day, hopefully Murphy's Law has run its course. But what if it didn't? What if the saying, what could go wrong will, decided it was going to stay a while? Well, that's exactly what happened. For everyone. For a year. 536 AD, to be exact. The year many, many, many historians agree was quite literally the worst year to be alive. To start things off, a huge volcano erupted and impacted nearly every part of the globe. Then if that wasn't enough, darkness washed the blue out of the sky for most of Europe and Asia with an impenetrable black that one historian described as light without brightness, like the moon. The lack of sunlight led to a period of intense cold, so cold that it started a mini ice age. Crops all around the world failed, which led to famine and then starvation. Living in a world under these conditions back then without the understanding of modern science, it was probably seen by many as the end of times. People were desperate and this kind of stress was felt even in politics. It was the beginning of the end for the Eastern Roman Empire and a time of intense conflict in Europe and Asia. To make matters worse, the near-global famine left humanity vulnerable to disease. The plague appeared shortly after the eruption, killing approximately 5,000 people a day in Constantinople alone. People around the globe were dealing with the loss of family and friends to the plague, all while starving and battling the brutal weather conditions. So today, we're going to find out what really happened in 536 AD and how one volcano led to a global cooling, a famine, and a plague. So let's begin to understand what happened with the volcanic eruption that started it all. He's talking and I'm not and I'm just... <sighs> And then I'm talking. <laughs> no, but wait, wait! I have something for him. Boom! You get shot down. Now you're just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales podcast. Concentrate on the news. That's what we do. Wow. <laughs> FY, there's nothing wrong with black Would you be surprised if I told you that a volcanic eruption that impacted nearly all parts of everyday life, from food to climate and even politics, one that started a series of unfortunate events that snowballed into what many during the time probably thought was the end of the world, one that truly changed the world over 1500 years ago, was thought to be lost to time up until recently? 
It wasn't up until a few decades ago that we discovered that an eruption was the cause of a sudden cold in the middle of summer and a strange fog that blocked out the sun. It wasn't until the 1990s that Mother Nature, with a little help from science, gave us proof of these unusually cold summers that we only had written accounts of. Trees gave us the answers and let us prove that there was a lack of sunlight during the 6th century. Trees. Literally. Using dendrochronology, which is the study of tree rings, specialists would count how much a tree grew during a certain period of time. And in this instance, we found that trees had little to almost no growth at all. With the help of dendrochronology and ice core analysis, which helped detect chemicals and compounds in the ice down to the month, scientists discovered certain compounds that are always released by volcanoes during an eruption. Ones like sulfate, volcanic glass, and sulfuric acid deposits. So now that we had proof of an eruption, now we have to find out where it happened. Because remember, this eruption had a huge global impact and pinpointing where exactly with that much real estate is no easy task. A wide range of theories about why and where were proposed, like a volcano in El Salvador, and even one in Indonesia, to even a few dismissing the volcano theory altogether. But it wasn't up until a few years ago, thanks to modern science, that it actually was not a tropical volcano, but a massive eruption somewhere in Iceland. Even though we still aren't sure exactly which volcano it was, considered Iceland is littered with them, 130 volcanoes to be exact. So with Iceland being the home to the volcano that almost brought down the end of times, let's now dive into how this eruption led to 536 AD being the worst year to be alive. So first I want you to close your eyes and picture a volcano erupting. We've all seen one. Whether it was Pierce Brosnan convincing the people of Dante's Peak to leave before the sleeping giant erupts in the movie Dante's Peak, or watching the greatest cartoon ever as Ash battles Blaine inside a live erupting volcano for his seventh badge in Pokemon. We've all seen the aftermath. Sure, the people living in the immediate area got it the worst as lava spews over the land and Ash blankets the sky, but more often than not, that would be the end of it. But volcanoes can do a lot more damage than we would like to admit so much that it's comparable to the aftermath of a nuclear war, with a nuclear winter following suit. But for those of you that do not know what a nuclear winter is or consists of, that's when the suit and dust from the explosion and from the resulting fires and firestorms would be blasted into the upper areas of the atmosphere, creating a layer that blocks out the sun. The lack of sunlight leads to global cooling, creating winter conditions even in the middle of summer. This is almost identical to how a volcanic winter works. Instead of the soot and dust, it's ash and airborne sulfur that gets released into the upper layer of the atmosphere. 
and both of these compounds reflect sunlight, meaning that less sunlight can get through. But not only that, all that light is reflected back by the sulfur. The higher these compounds go into the atmosphere, the less likely they are to be washed away by rainfall, and these materials can take years for them to disperse on their own. And this is what scientists believe happened in 536 AD, a massive volcanic eruption caused a volcanic winter in the middle of summer, which led to a constant freeze which caused low precipitation and prolonged cloud cover and fog. As if the weather suddenly turning the world into a snow globe wasn't bad enough, the eruption would also cause a lack of rainfall. Basically, they'll sink compounds that would block out the sun, while they would also keep the water cycle from normally happening. Blocking out the sun reduces the amount of radiation that can get through to the ground, and less heat on the ground means less water will evaporate, and since there is less water in the air to condense into clouds, the chances of rainfall become almost zero. In 536 AD, droughts were recorded all across Europe and Asia. Combining that with the cooling effect, the ruin of crops created a global famine. But while parts of the world were going through a drought, China was experiencing snowfall in the middle of August, ruining their harvest because the cooling of the atmosphere doesn't happen evenly. Landmasses always cool down a lot faster than oceans, which create mass flooding in some regions and uncharacteristic droughts in others. Which makes matters worse, as regions that were not in a drought couldn't reap their harvest as the weather became dangerously unpredictable. So it's easy to see why growing food was incredibly difficult. Extreme colds, droughts, flooding, and lack of sunlight were going on all at once all over the globe. In fact, a failure of bread, as they called it during this period, was reported in parts of Europe for three years, starting in 536 AD, which meant that if you didn't save any food from the previous harvest to live off of, most likely you were going to starve. The world struggled. Societies all over the globe had difficulties feeding their people causing mass starvations, and even if you were lucky enough to survive, you were left very weak and very vulnerable to diseases while slowly dealing with a constant cold, which was a huge reason why the plague took such a toll on Europe and Asia, but more on that later. Worrying about not freezing to death or where your next meal came from or avoiding the plague took an emotional and mental toll on everyone in 536 AD. The erratic weather globally also meant that the usual trade routes couldn't be used as well. The perfect storm that made survival extremely difficult. The mental stress of worrying about not only surviving the cold and the plague, but also worrying if you and your family had enough to survive the winter was something everyone was dealing with. But little did they know, that things would get worse before they got better. The volcanic eruption started the coldest decade in over 2,000 years, and that's because the eruption triggered a global cooling that didn't just go away after a year when the fog finally lifted. This lasted for 20 years, from 536 AD to 560 AD. 
Normally, the salt volcano eruption would have just meant a volcanic winter. But the following eruptions in 540 and 547 AD took that volcanic winter and turned it into a mini ice age. The early frost, the sudden temperature changes, and heavy snowfall were huge contributions for crops failing all over the globe. The unforgiving cold meant that there was no end in sight. It's easy to see how times of suffering can lead to war and civil unrest because they tire already existing conditions on an individual and a political level. Some political leaders saw famine as a way to gain an advantage because if their own people were weak and starving, that meant that their enemy was also weak and starving. It's no secret that the mini ice age was a huge contributor to the plague. It's easy to connect that the sudden drop in temperature paired with the famine, it left everyone vulnerable to disease. But that wasn't the only way that global cooling worsened the plague. This mini ice age also affected rats and the way they moved across Europe and Asia as they too tried to avoid the cold. And since the plague causing bacteria was carried by rats and fleas, this made the pandemic even worse since the rats sought out warmth and more often than not ended up in people's heated homes. Plus, we know that the cold killed crops and ruined harvests all across Europe, the Americas, and Asia. This meant that any remaining food was likely to be eaten, even if it was contaminated or of poor quality, which exposed the people even more to the plague. Having lived through the COVID-19 pandemic gave us a window into what life back in 536 AD was somewhat like, except that back then, they lived through the pandemic without modern science and with no cure in sight. The world was not only caught off guard, but their life was turned upside down. Living through the pandemic of 536 AD meant that the most common way to battle against this plague was through prayer. Comforting? Yes. Effective? Not so much. Another way doctors during this time were dealing with the plague was balancing the fluids inside one's body. To heal the sick person, you would get rid of whatever fluid that person had too much of, and this led to a massive surge of bloodletting, which is the removal of blood to try and heal a person. Coincidentally, this plague was caused by the same bacteria that caused the Black Plague that decimated the 1300s, and they shared identical symptoms. A sudden fever and chills, fatigue or weakness, muscle pain, severely swollen lymph nodes growing to be about the size of an egg, blackening of the skin on the fingers or toes, vomiting, bleeding from the mouth or nose, a cough, and symptoms of shock such as clammy skin, enlarged pupils, and sudden behavioral changes. 
The plague changed how people lived their lives so much that according to Procopius, it became rare to see other people outside, and if you did, they were either dying or carrying the dead. Slaves no longer obeyed their masters. Rich people were often found to be lost, fending for themselves as their servants quit or had died. At the same time, people were either too scared or unable to work, meaning that a lot of jobs like plowing fields and harvesting crops just didn't get done. In North Africa, one account says that the plague survivors fought over the victims' properties and that men, due to financial hardships, preferred to marry wealthy elder widows over young women. Whether accounts like that are true or exaggerated, it's no lie that living through the plague was taxing on everyone on every level. Seeing those around you, from family, friends, to even neighbors, die around you without being able to do much about it can be very traumatic. In Constantinople, for example, when there wasn't enough manpower to bury the bodies, they would just move the bodies outside the city walls instead of burying them on burial grounds for the stench of death enveloped the whole city. At the same time, these survivors were still battling the mini ice age and the famine that came from the plague. Those who didn't die from the plague were still at risk of dying from starvation and the cold. The Byzantine Empire was hit hard by the plague, losing between one-third to half of its population to the plague alone. This was a devastating hit for the empire and for the individual. Few lived through the outbreak, surviving the plague while losing neighbors, friends, and family. At its worst, there was no room nor time to provide the dead with proper burials which meant that many dead were left in the streets to rot and fester. The heavy emotional toll the survivors went through, seeing their loved ones' bodies out in the streets without being to not only give them a proper goodbye, but unable to bury them without risking an infection themselves. Survivors emerged from the outbreak exhausted and weak from taking care of the sick vulnerable to diseases and starvation. They were the most able-bodied workers, but even they weren't enough to clean up the streets, bury the dead, process imported goods, or manage crops. Making bad times even worse, survivors struggled to maintain cities and towns ravaged by the plague. In the Byzantine Empire, the emperor or empress ruled over all aspects of life, from the army, the church, government affairs, to finances and members of the council. Sex didn't matter when it came to leading the Byzantine Empire. In Justinian's case, his wife Theodora ruled right alongside him, making her the most powerful woman in the history of the empire. And she used her power to change and fix policies that she cared for. 
They were both deeply tied to the church, and not surprising, since they were essentially divine figures. During Justinian's reign, emperors were believed to have been chosen by God, which as you can imagine, has its ups and downs. The emperor was always at risk of being attacked, murdered, or removed from power if he didn't make the choice his people favored. But as long as he kept his people happy, the emperor stayed rich and powerful. One of Justinian's major goals was to reclaim territory that the Western Roman Empire lost when it fell, and he was partially successful. He reclaimed a large part of Italy, including Rome. While the empire still extended into North Africa and the northwestern regions of Mesopotamia, it had lost a lot of ground in Western Europe. He reconquered most of this territory for a short while before the army was weakened by the plague. To restore the Roman Empire to its former glory, Justinian knew that he had to wow visitors and citizens alike with beautiful cities, incredible buildings, and an impeccable culture. He invested heavily in infrastructure, fixing up old cities and roads, and creating unique and intricate buildings, one of those being the Hagia Sophia. Initially built as a church, but also has been a museum and is currently a mosque, a beautiful testament to what people in the Middle Ages were capable of. Justinian had numerous accomplishments and is known as a great leader, but he's done some questionable things. A lot of these could be chalked up to the extreme circumstances of 536 AD, but still, they are worth noting. And one of his most infamous policies was taxing the dead. So what he did was he would tax the people who survived the plague for an amount that they owed plus the amount that their deceased neighbors owed, mounting frustration atop the shoulders of people already burdened and barely scrapping by. And if that wasn't bad enough, these payments were not going toward any relief fund for the sick or survivors who had been out of work due to the pandemic. They were to cover Justinian's buildings projects and high military expenses and not for his people suffering. Many believe that he may have been funding his projects instead of providing relief for a noble reason, to try and appease God by building churches and thinking that this might stop God from spreading the plague any further. There's also the issue of his military expenses from the Gothic War. Speculation as to why Justinian didn't pull his troops during the plague was because he may have thought that the disease was also weakening his enemy, allowing him to be successful. While others think this was just a selfish act, him sticking to his goal of restoring the empire to his former glory and deciding to push through it would be in line with his focus on building churches rather than taking care of his people. He also thought that focusing on grand gestures like building beautiful churches and reconquering lost territories would be more impactful for the empire in the long term. While it may have been better for the empire as a whole, there were major sacrifices for the survivors. They literally gave their lives and well-being for the glory of the empire, a trade that his people wouldn't have made if they had a choice. 
We still look back on Justinian today as an example of a great leader. He was Justinian the Great after all. He made incredible investments to society at the time and did a lot to improve the daily lives of his people. However, he was also full of lofty dreams about restoring the Roman Empire and these kept him from intervening properly in times of strife. He remained focused on improving the perception of the empire by reconquering lost territories and building grand structures. He focused on those goals even while losing almost half of his population. We do know that the lack of modern medicine and strong religious background would have greatly influenced his decisions. You may think that you would have made different choices, but we have different worldviews and knowledge than he would have back then. But at the end of the day, you have to decide for yourself if you think Justinian ruled fairly. So before I end this episode, I want to send you all with a closing excerpt pulled from today's source, The Worst Year Ever, 536 AD by Reese Kimball. Amazon link will be in this episode's show notes. We're at a crucial point in history. We still have time to change things for the better and prevent for the damage to the earth. But it will take all of us. We need to work together to hold powerful people accountable and force them to see the facts. Remind the big corporations that if there is no earth, there's no money either. Individually, we can all do our part to reduce our emissions and prevent the worst. Being thoughtful about our energy use, especially fossil fuels, is an important step. But we can also reduce our impact by eating more sustainably and trying to buy less. If we all chip in, we can protect ourselves from a disastrous outcome like what happened in 536 AD. Don't let 2020 be our 536 AD. What happened in 2020 was a wake-up call, begging us to see that our way of life is precarious and unsustainable. We can't afford to ignore that call anymore. We no longer have the time to make thoughtless decisions or let the situation continue to spiral. The time to act is now, and the only way through is together. Let's all do our part to make the future incredible. Thank you everyone, and as always, we are the Weird History, Eretel's Pod.